is our sermon text this morning. First John chapter two. First John two, starting at verse twenty-eight. I'll be reading till um, chapter three, verse three. So First John two, twenty-eight. First John two, twenty-eight. Please once more give your full attention. This is the word of our God. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. The word of the Lord. Amen. May he add his blessing upon the reading. Uh, You may be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer now and ask his blessing upon uh, the proclamation of his word and the hearing of that word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, our great God, our King, our Creator, Redeemer, we delight uh, now to be in your presence and to raise uh, our, our songs of worship and praise to you. And we pray that in your goodness, that you would press down upon our lives uh, with the weight of your word that humbles our pride, but also your grace that lifts us into your presence, that we may delight in hearing your voice in your word now and having your work uh, uh, upon our lives as you minister, minister to us uh, through your word and by your Holy Spirit. And so we pray that by your grace, by your grace uh, in your spirit, through your word, that you would grow us together evermore into the likeness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Well, we continue in John this morning. Uh, last week, uh, we saw that John was teaching the faithful, right, this clear distinction between the truth of the gospel and the lies of the false gospel, uh, or the truth of Christ and the lies of the Antichrists. Uh, and he emphasized that there isn't this vast sea of gray area regarding this, between truth and lie. Uh, John told us that there is no middle ground regarding the truth and lie. Uh, and anyone who denies the Son, he said, also denies the Father. And so anyone who denies the incarnation of Christ, like the false teachers to whom John is writing, whom he's writing against, align themselves with Antichrist and are in fact Antichrists, he told us. Uh, like these false teachers who are leading others astray and leading them out of the church to pull away, to break away uh, from the body of Christ. And so John here instructs the faithful in the church to continue what they heard from the beginning, remember. Continue what you heard from the beginning, right, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, he says, abide in Christ. Continue in the anointing that you received from Christ. And they were to seek the Holy Spirit whom Christ had sent. This Holy Spirit sent to teach us and to lead us into all truth. Uh, and remember there in John's gospel as well, we see in John 14, uh, the words of Christ when he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Because of the work of the Spirit, right, this protective work of the Spirit, John was encouraging the faithful to continue in that anointing anointing in the power of the Spirit. 
Um, and also, very importantly, remember, John pointed them, and he points us to our union with Christ uh, this morning, actually, in this text. Our union with Christ for our protection, for us not to be led astray by these false teachers or to align with their false teachings, with these false Christs. And John now talks about the wonderful truth of what it means to be united to Christ in regard to the final judgment. And he gives us a kind of retrospective and then a prospective picture of who we are in Jesus Christ. Right? He's pointed back to the beginning. Remember, abide in him. Abide in that. Continue in that, in the gospel, in Christ. And then forward to the final judgment. He's speaking in this text this morning, right? At his coming. And again, you are united to Jesus. That has radical, critical consequences um, in regard to that last day, right? You've heard the saying that ideas have consequences. And it couldn't be more true regarding true beliefs about scriptural teaching, right, about theology. Um, it's not fashionable, and people don't like it these days, but it's true. Um, all will stand before the throne of God, right? And there will be consequences for their beliefs and their denials, uh, John says here in chapter 1. And this is clearly something that the false teachers would have to do. But what about those who are faithful on that last day? What about those who look to Christ in faith? Uh, what about those who are united to Christ? Many times we think about appearing before the throne of God on the day of judgment, uh, and we associate this with a terrifying thing, a fearful thing. But we should see here in 1 John that he is giving a different facet about what that will be like, particularly for the believer, uh, precisely for the believer. And rather than it being a fearful picture, an angst-filled picture, a terror-filled picture, the picture John paints of us appearing before the throne of judgment is a Christ-filled picture. Right? It's characterized by confidence and hope and assurance. And that hope and confidence is even for us today. Right? It's even for us. All of you who name the name of Christ and trust in him for your salvation, right? hope and confidence when we appear before the throne of God on the day of judgment. Um, and so John begins this part of the letter by saying, that it's, it's critical that the faithful continue to abide in Christ. Abiding in Christ was, was crucial. It was critical for avoiding the errors of these false teachers. And John goes on to point out in verse 28 that abiding in Christ is also critical for the, false, uh, for the final judgment, right? It was critical for avoiding the errors of the false teacher, but it's also critical for the last day, for that final judgment. Um, again, verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Right? At his coming. When he appears, right? At his coming. And so notice this abiding in Christ, our union with Christ, is the source of our confidence at the coming of Christ and his return and final judgment. The source of our confidence. Uh, and we have to see a few ideas here wrapped up in what John is telling us. Um, the first is that when John, when, when, when Christ returns, it will be to judge the world, right? It's the final judgment. And we should be clear and assured about this, that our source of confidence on that day when we appear before the throne of Christ, our source of confidence is not in our, in our works, in our own working, our works that we have done. It cannot be. John says what? He says our source of confidence is our abiding in Christ, right? Our union with Jesus, it's ultimately the work of Christ, his righteousness, his obedience, 
that's imputed to the believer by faith, right, through the Spirit. And that same righteousness and holiness then becomes our righteousness and holiness through our union with Him, right? It's, it's, it's near impossible for us to fathom the glory of this and the reality of this. But Scripture gives a picture of this union, this, uh, uh, this, this union idea um, in a small, analogous way. And the picture that it gives is marriage, right? It's like marriage. Men and women in marriage become one flesh, right? They become one. Before the two are married, there are what? There are two families, two households, two people, two separate belong, uh, belongings and things and finances. But in marriage, they become one. And all that was theirs individually becomes theirs together, jointly. And when we, Ephesians talks about this at the end of Ephesians. Um, and then when we consider in light of this, our union with our Savior, with Christ, we see that great source of confidence at his return, Right? What is his is now ours, right? You believe in Jesus? All that is his is yours. That means his righteousness and his holiness is your righteousness and holiness as you stand before the Father. And then we see also by implication that if the faithful have abided in Christ and, is the, and, and that is their confidence at the end, what about the false teachers? What about those to whom he's warning against? By contrast to the faithful, right, the false teachers have not abided in Christ. They have denied the incarnation of Christ. They are antichrists, and therefore they have no source of confidence in their life and in the final judgment. And in that final judgment, instead of confidence, the false teachers who deny Christ, who do not abide in him, will shrink back in shame, right? And this is in contrast to what John says at the start of our text this morning, um, these different responses to the believer, right? The false teachers who do not abide in Christ will shrink back in shame at his coming. But the faithful, those who abide in Christ, they will not shrink back, he says. They'll actually approach that day with boldness, right, with confidence. What amazing source of confidence this is, brothers and sisters, not just for that last day, but even for now, for you and I in this life that we go through. What is Christ now belongs to us through our union with him. But our source of confidence on the day of judgment is manifold, right? It is this, but there's more. There's more to this. We are united to Christ through the Spirit's effectual calling. And also, what does John say there in chapter 3 and elsewhere? There's this most wonderful and peace-giving aspect of our redemption. Right? What does he say there in, in, in chapter 3? We are children of God. We're children of God. We are his children. It's not true that all mankind are children of God. The idea of the universal fatherhood of God is such an affront to what Scripture actually teaches and actually says. All are creatures created by God, to be sure. Not all are his children, right? Not all are those he has loved and called children of God. And that is the most precious truth for his children. Right? We are his children, children of the Father, not all abide in Christ. Not all will stand boldly on that last day. But you, if you are Christ's, if you abide in him, that means you are a child of God. And you will stand boldly on that last day. Uh, chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Right? And a glorious reality, a glorious truth um, <clears throat> to correct our, our, the lies of our heart and the lies of the world. 
And we have to see that this has massive implications, right, regarding the final judgment as well. And one implication is that we don't come before the throne of God alone, right? We're in Christ. We're in Christ. And so we're not judged by our own works, but by the works of Christ, the works, the life, death, the resurrection of Jesus. And what is his belongs to us. His righteousness is ours. And that means everything, right? That means everything. It means that when you go to the throne of God at that final judgment, we do not go with our status in question. We don't go doubting who we are before him. We don't go questioning and wondering how it's going to turn out. We don't go wondering if we've tipped the scales in our favor and our goods outweighed our bad. If you're a child of God, you don't go before the throne at the end wishing and hoping that the sins that you've committed throughout your life and your black hearts disqualify you. No, we come before the throne of God as his children in the righteousness of Christ. The name of Christ is written on our foreheads. We are sealed and indwelt with the, with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Lord. Do you, do you have thought about that? Right? This is one of these grand truths that it's very easy for us just to pass it by. Have you thought about that? The glory, right? The glory. We're indwelt but the presence of the Lord, man, that should warm our hearts. It should warm your hearts. You believe the gospel every day at every moment, and he will grow you to believe and grow your purity. In the gospel of John, chapter 5, uh, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Death to life. Believers in Christ, God's children do not come into judgment. The judgment has been met already in Christ, and his righteousness is imputed to us. Um, 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Right? And notice that awesome, amazing word John uses there. Right? He says that we are God's children now. Now. Right? Not that we can be God's children or that we will be God's children or that if we work hard enough and do enough good works, then we'll be God's children. No, he says we are God's children now. We are God's children. And what does that mean for you right now, right, to be a child of God? Well, Paul says in Romans, you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness in our spirit that we are children of God and are children than heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him and or that we may also be glorified with him. Right? Incredible, incredible. So being God's children isn't a child, isn't a generic distinction given to the whole world uh, generally, generically. It's something that's given exclusively to those who are in Christ, those who are, uh, have the indwelling power and presence of the Holy Spirit, those whom he's called and given faith and brought to life to exercise that faith. And so assurance that God is no longer our judge, but our Father is a result of this, right? He brings us assurance as the children of God. This makes all the difference in the world, right? Assurance of who we are before him, and therefore assurance at that final day, the final judgment. 
right, as we think about this. Our status, our standing before God is not in question. It's not in doubt. We go to our Heavenly Father, not to the wrathful judge. But we think often, well, if I'm God's child now, why don't I look like it? Why don't I bear the image of God as I should? Why don't I reflect his image, the child of God? I don't seem to bear the family resemblance very much. My sinning seems to betray my family trait, my heritage, who I am. And what is it? How can we be children of God now, but at the same time be full of sin? sin, What bearing does this have on my approach to the throne at the end of time, that final day? Well, certainly John is aware that even though we are redeemed, we still struggle with sin, right? We know this because he told us in chapter 1, at the beginning of that letter, of this letter, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? So he knows, he's aware that the redeemed still struggle with sin. And he's completely aware of the fact that God's children still sin and we still require forgiveness of our sins as we seek him and flee to him again and again and again. But what did he say was the anchor of our hope, right? The anchor of our hope. That anchor of our hope is the mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who intercedes on our behalf. We trust him to conform us to his image, to sanctify us by the Spirit. We aren't to be dominated by sin. We're not to abide and live in sin. Rather, we we abide in the truth. We abide in Christ. Remember that uh, discussion that John gave of this, that Christ gave in John 15, this abiding talk, right? I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that doesn't bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Right, And those words that he uses there, Every branch that doesn't bear fruit, he prunes. And then he says, already you are clean because of the word. Those are the same, same, uh, it's the same word, prunes and clean. And it's the word we get catharsis from, right? Cathartic, it's to burn, right? To To cleanse by burning. We abide in Christ because he has cleansed us by his word. In spirit, we must abide in Christ through the means of grace, right, that he's provided for us. Right? By the Spirit. Right? You want to kill sin in your lives? You want to grow in holiness? Draw close unto the Lord. Be deep in His Word. Be deep in prayer. And you will increase in that family resemblance. Right? And you as a child of God will bear His image more and more. We know that though we were created in the image of God, it has been soiled, it has been damaged in the fall. But in our redemption by Christ, remember, God is renewing that image within us, right? Colossians 3, we read about this. We read about this in Ephesians as well. In this language of putting off and putting on, remember? In Colossians 3, uh, verse 9, he says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Right, renewed. And then Ephesians 4, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Right? And so knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. We certainly see that we are being renewed in the image of our Creator. 
right, in these uh, verses. But we particularly see this, remember, in 2 Corinthians, uh, this wonderful verse, 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For it comes, this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit's. Right? Being transformed, He transforms us more and more into His image to bear reflection of our family resemblance, of our Father, of Jesus indeed. And so it follows, John, he says here, that, that, that we identify as God's children in the present right now. Right? Verse 29, First John 2. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. Right? If Christ is righteous... And he is the expressed image of God. And through our redemption, we are being renewed into the image of Christ daily, ongoingly. That means that we can identify as children of God by seeing the fruit, right? We can identify um, uh, the children of God, rather, by seeing the fruit of their union with Christ, right? The righteousness and their own good works as evidence of their faith, of evidence of their union with Jesus. And so John will go on to tell us that about that day, that incredible time when Christ returns, when our confirmation, our transformation into the image of Christ will be completed. Right? See that in, verse, uh, in chapter 3, verse 2. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Right? At that time, Christ will completely and totally conform us into his image. And every vestige of sin and every remnant of sin will be eliminated from our mortal bodies. Right? Do you see that? Isn't that an incredible thing? We have troubles and pains and sorrows in this life. Very much of that is because of the lingering sin within us, that infection that runs so deep. Yes, the world and the devil, but our flesh as well. And our ongoing imperfection, if we're not careful, can have a devastating effect on us and distort these truths of Scripture. It can crush us. It can cause doubt and despair about that end time, that visit to the throne of God. In our flesh, it makes perfect sense to be disgraced and shamed, to shrink in shame and fear. But if you belong to Jesus, and if you've understood the gospel and believed the gospel, right, that he lived in your place, that he died in your place and rose again, and he calls sinners like you and like me to repent and believe in him, and when we do, he gives us a new heart and a home in heaven, his spirit dwelling within you. If that's you, you can have confidence, brothers and sisters. You can have confidence. You don't have to shrink back in shame. And why? Because you're not left to look within yourself for rescue and forgiveness and purity or freedom. It's not introspective, right? One theologian said it's extrospective. We look out. We look for you, if you believe the gospel, trust in Christ, you look outside of yourself, right? Extra nos is the technical term. Away from yourself to another, and your anchor, your hope and assurance is that this one, Jesus, who is righteous and holy and pure, because you are united to him and all that is his is yours. And there issues forth that hope and assurance and boldness and glory. And you can have confidence, not only now, but in the end, when you stand before him on that last day. And then in verse 3, John says there, and everyone who, who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure, right? And see the glory there, right? See the glory of what John says. It's not that those who are pure 
try really hard, do better than others, pull themselves up by their own bootstraps and their own efforts. No, John says what? He says that everyone who thus hopes in him, who looks to Christ in faith, abides in him, that's how the person is purified. Looking to Christ, abiding in him, that's the source of our hope on the final day. So brothers and sisters, we hope not in ourselves, but in Christ, the one who purifies and cleanses us, John says, from all unrighteousness, all unrighteousness. We go confident to the Father in hope because we are united to the Son. We're united to him. Our life is hidden with Christ and God, with God in Christ. Oh, what a wonderful thing. What a glorious thing to go to the Father assured and confident. Very often we think, that's me? And how is that the case? Go to the Father? Sometimes I'm ashamed to go to the mirror because of my sin, let alone go to my Father, go to his throne, assured. And John says, God says through John, yes, you. You, because the Son of my eternal love endured the wrath that you deserved, became sin, though he knew no sin, and you have become my very righteousness. My very righteousness. Come, not in fear, he says, but in confidence. Come bearing my image as my child. And so let us remember, brothers and sisters, who we are, and let us be who we are for his glory. And let us avail ourselves of those very things that he's given to grow us into his image, his word and his bread for the way through this foreign land as we pray and seek his, his, uh, seek his will and his way, um, even before we reach our homeland. And let us rejoice in Jesus for our salvation, that he is one for us and for his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do praise you for the way that you've worked and for your wonder and your love and your great mercy that you've shown to us, your work amongst your people. Lord, we long for you in a closer walk with Christ, our Savior. May we find our life there. May we see who we are truly and what is really promised to us and not despair but rejoice seeing that you're going to bring honor and glory to your name and you're going to fill your kingdom from every tribe under heaven. Father, help us to believe that we are dead to sin and alive to Christ, alive to walk in newness of life for your glory. We pray for those who suffer in our midst here this morning, their loved ones, suffering, and our loved ones who do not know Christ. Lord, we pray that you would give them faith, that you would put people in their lives. Lord, give us the words to say, give us lives to live, that we would bear reflection, bear the truth, testimony with our mouth and with our doing of the only rescue for their soul. And Lord, if it's your will, give them life. Lord, we pray uh, for all of us, Lord, uh, whether married or single, young or old, help us to have hearts that are fat, full of your love, caring and loving each other to the extent that the outside world would see and wonder and be captivated captivated by your people's peculiarities, Lord. Help us to be a peculiar people in that regard. Use us in our lives to witness to your glory. We thank you that you fed us afresh this day with Christ, our Savior, the bread of heaven. And as we've heard your word to us, May we see that this is our life and our sustenance, even in the midst of famine. We feel we are through so often. Lord, we praise you and thank you that we can come before your throne with assurance and boldness 
enjoy. Lord, help us to long for that day. Our Lord and our God, we praise you and thank you for the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, the provision of your grace. Help us to believe you, believe that you've done all that was needed for our life and our eternity through Christ. We often see our failure and our brokenness and is overwhelming to us. Help us to look to Christ's perfection, to his strength and his satisfaction, to our eyes and our hearts to glory, to that which is better, to that which is best. Lord God, bless us and carry us this week in this pilgrim land to seek your face for the sake of your glory. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.